And anyone else who wants to go Christmas caroling with us, uh, we have a tradition here at Keshaw Baptist Church that uh, Blunt Knowles has cleaned out one of his dump trucks, and we all climb into the back of it, and he drives us around town. Uh, we sing Christmas carols at different houses uh, from a lot of our shut-ins and other people who would enjoy uh, Christmas carols. So if you've never been, uh, it is an absolute blast. Uh, it's guaranteed to be uh, somewhat cold tonight, and so dress warm and uh, just loosen up and have a little bit of fun at Christmas time because everybody enjoys Christmas carolers, and the only thing that makes Christmas carolers better is when there's 20, 30, 40, 50 of them in the back of a dump truck all together, and uh, it's great. And so there's not a lot of walking involved, and if you need to uh, bring somewhere to sit in the back of the truck while he's driving, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, Dale doesn't like it when he gets up to 55 and 60, and so he goes slow, and uh, we keep everybody safe, okay? All right? It's not nice to be uptight at Christmas, okay? Just loosen up just a little bit. And uh, so if you've got your copy of God's Word, I'd like to invite you to open it. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 2. Uh, but on the way to Luke chapter 2, uh, we're going to be talking about um, just the, the theme of joy and uh, the sort of joy that the Christ uh, is supposed to bring into our lives and I want to tell you something that brought me great joy over the last two weeks. Uh, it's something that has really excited me. It's not something that normally excites me. Um, I've been remodeling a house, as many of you guys know. And as I've been doing that, I've kind of gone at it with a go-getter attitude. And every spare moment has been uh, working on the house, trying to fix it up and get our house or get our family comfortable living where we are. And so about two weeks ago, I got to a major stopping point, right? And everybody's comfortable for the most part. And the house is about as finished as any of your houses are, right? Everybody's got a list of honeydews that they could do a mile long. And so that's about where we are. We're about at that stopping point. And so what's that allowed us to do is I've been able to fix the antenna on the roof that my wife has been wanting me to fix for about a year now. And so I climbed up on the roof. I, I pointed the antenna towards Edenton and we're able to get normal stations now, right? We don't have cable, satellite, any of that stuff. So whatever they're broadcasting on, uh, the ones that you can pick up with a free antenna, that's what we get. And so we're flipping through the stations the other day and the voice comes on. How many of you guys watch the voice? Like, let me see just some hands. Don't be embarrassed. All right. I have a, a confession to make. Uh, this is season nine of The Voice, right? I just learned that. And up until season nine of The Voice, I've probably watched about 30 minutes of the show total leading up to just the other day. And so The Voice is on. And so I thought, wow, this is the finale. We're going to be up to date on popular culture. And so we'll watch it. And so we're watching The Voice. And there's four final contestants if you've never seen The Voice before. And so these four contestants are going to sing. They each have to sing three songs. Uh, so it comes out to 12 songs that are going to be sung, and then the show is over. And I thought, great, we'll be able to commit an hour to watching this show, and at the end of it, we'll get to see firsthand who wins the voice. And if you've ever watched the show, that's not how it works, right? You watch the show, and then they give people time to text in your votes and all of this, and so you don't really find out who wins till a day or two later till voting is done. Let me ask you this question. How many of you guys have ever voted for the voice? I've never done that yet. I haven't, I'm not that far into popular culture. Just curious. How many of you have voted 10 times? Like you're allowed 10 votes. Any of you guys used up all 10 votes? A couple. We got a couple. All right. Just curious. And so anyways, so I'm sitting there and we're watching The Voice and it, we're leading up to the Christmas season and I'm amazed at some of the song selections of these people. 
first of all, they sing this song. This is nothing to do with Christmas, but they sing this song called uh, Burning House. Any of you heard a song called Burning House? All right, and so this girl starts singing this song, and, and this is how the song goes, right? This is just humor me for a minute. I had a dream about a burning house. You were inside, couldn't get you out. And I'm like, wow, this is a creepy song. Uh, it's supposed to be a love song, right? Like, here's this, this girl pouring her heart out, and I'm like, wow, this is really weird. All right, so she's having a dream about a burning house, and what she decides to do is she just lays next to the guy, and they both go out, Romeo and Juliet style. And so I, like any good husband, taking advantage of the romantic atmosphere in the room, I said, honey, I had a dream about a burning house. And you were stuck inside. And then I woke up from the dream because that's a weird song, right? So I didn't keep dreaming. Like the dream ended, I woke up. And so that was my taking advantage of a romantic moment. And so anyways, they're singing all these songs and they're singing fantastic, right? These are supposed to be four best singers in a singing competition. And then they begin to sing these Christmas carols. And so here you have four great singers. One of them is going to win a record label contract. And so there's a, a passage of scripture that a lot of people quote, but they only quote the first half of the psalm. And so the psalm is Psalm chapter 46. And the song, the psalm, excuse me, starts out in Verse 1 of chapter 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, and it goes on and on and on and on. And then it says in verse 10, this is the part that people quote a lot, be still and know that I am God. So a lot of times when people get busy, they just say, I need to be still and I need to know that he is God, which is right. But if you're walking with the Lord and you're naturally busy about the work of the Lord, which I've been trying to have us doing, I've been trying to have us engaging the community, I've been trying to have us out in the world serving Christ. Listen to what it says in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so what I did is I kicked back in my recliner, right? Or I'm laying on the couch, one of the two places, and I'm watching the voice. And I'm doing absolutely nothing positive for the kingdom, right? I'm just sitting there, kicked back, enjoying being lazy, watching the TV. And I watched these people pick out Christmas carols. And the guy who won saying, Mary, did you know? And so on national TV, everybody's watching. Like the nation is watching the voice. And the song goes something like this. Mary, did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? Did you know that your baby boy was Lord of all creation? Did you know that one day he'll rule the nations? And did you know that when you kiss him, you kiss the face of God? And that song is sung. And you can understand the lyrics perfectly. Because the guy who won the voice sang it. And by the way, that's one of the, that's the number four top song downloaded on all of iTunes in the last two weeks is that song. And so here I am giving nothing to the Lord and I'm kicked back watching and you watch the news and people are angry about Christmas and they're angry about 
not having Christmas trees on Starbucks cups and all these ridiculous things that we get all wrapped up about. And here you have a show that the whole world is watching and they're singing about Christ and there's nothing that anybody can do about it. Why? Because the world loves what's going on. And you have these people singing these Christmas carols. And then another guy, he sings Silent Night as one of his big finale songs. And in the song Silent Night, you know the words, Christ the Savior is born. And here you have these people on a secular TV show, and they are singing all of these great things. And the last one that they sing is O Holy Night. And one of the verses in O Holy Night, if you wonder when people stand before God, how are they going to know that they've done anything wrong? What are some of the things that God is going to use them to show them their error? Is anybody going to be able to stand before the Lord and say, I didn't know? If you are watching The Voice... They sing this song, O Holy Night, and the song says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. And so you have this perfectly clear lyrics that this person is singing. And you, this person doesn't even realize it, but they're singing condemnation on the world through a Christmas carol. And the next verse is, what do you do when you find out that the world is in sin and error? You fall on your knees and you worship the king who's being born. And man, it was just so worshipful and joyful. I feel like a dork saying this. Watching the voice, hearing Christ, and watching Christ absolutely take over a secular TV show, all so that his son could be raised up high at Christmas time. And it was absolutely fantastic. And so this whole sermon is going to be about joy. And I thought, man, that's the, that's the thing that brought some of the most joy to me this Christmas season was to see Christ Shanghai a TV show and make it all about him. Absolutely incredible. And so now if you'll turn to Luke chapter 2, we're going to start out in verse 1. But I'd like to start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that he is worthy to be worshipped. And Father, we thank you that we can be still and know that you are God. And Father, we thank you that you have the ability to absolutely take over TV stations. You have the ability to take over the radio. And you have the ability to raise your name up above every other name whenever you so desire. And Lord, I pray that we would be instruments that you use to make your name famous throughout the earth. And Father, I pray that as we continue to read your word this morning, I pray that we would be overcome with great joy uh, at how great you are and what a great treasure we have in you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in Luke chapter 2. We're in verse 1. And I'm going to read the first uh, 10 or 11 chapters. And here we go. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in their fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened." But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, 
which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so I want to look at specifically this morning that the angel stands before them. The glory of the Lord shines around them and they're frightened. And the angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. We've got this thing. This this is going to be good news that they're giving. It's going to be for all the people and it's going to be of great joy. And I'm thinking, what in the world? How's this great joy that they're talking about? What is this message that's for all people of great joy? And so if you if you look through the scriptures for everywhere the word joy comes up, the word joy is used a lot. It's mostly used in the Psalms. It's used about ten times, maybe eight to ten times in each of the Gospels, except for Mark. Mark only uses the word joy one time. And so uh, whatever this message is, Whatever is going to take place as a result of this message is meant for people to have an immense amount of joy about this decision. And so if you look up the word joy in a dictionary, the word joy is this. The emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. And so the word joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Joy can also be a source of keen pleasure or delight. And so joy can be the source of pleasure and delight, or it can be uh, the emotion of great delight or happiness. And so if you flip back a couple pages to the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 13, Matthew talks about somebody who found an incredible amount of joy. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. This is Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 44. And if you haven't noticed before, trying to explain an emotion or a feeling to someone is an incredibly difficult thing to do, right? It's hard to tell someone what joy feels like when your kids come to you or when your kids came to you or when you went to your parents and you said, I love this individual. I think I want to marry them. What's that? Explain this love feeling you have. Explain what that's like. And what do you inevitably say to that person? You just know, right? It's not something you can put your finger on. It's something that you feel it. You just know what it's like. And so here we have joy kind of explained for us. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And so you guys know that I love this passage, but there's a guy walking through a field. And somehow he finds a treasure hidden in a field. And what does he do? He's overcome with joy. He's overcome with excitement. Uh, he's overcome with delight and happiness. He's pleased. And what does he do? He hides the treasure. He goes back home and he gladly liquidates all of his assets so that he can buy that field and gain that treasure. Right? Most of you, when you fell in love with your spouse, you would have walked away from everything if you could have just enjoyed loving your spouse. There's a country song that's really funny. Living on love, right? Talks about being poor, but as long as we love each other, everything's going to be okay. That works for about a couple days. Then you need some money, right? But but we get so infatuated with this feeling that, that we would gladly walk away from careers. We would walk away from everything in order to get that love, in order to get that joy. And so here's a guy who's who's gotten rid of everything so that he could get that field. There's probably only been one thing in life. This is outside of 
people, right, outside of my wife. There's only been one thing that I've ever seen. There's only been one treasure I've ever seen where I thought, wow, I would walk away from everything to have that, right? So we go on a vacation to Florida, and on our way back from Florida, we're going to stop at St. Augustine because it's a quaint little town, historical. We're going to walk around, enjoy all of the things. Well, this was like the 300th anniversary of St. Augustine, and it wasn't a quaint little town now. It's packed with people, full of people. And so we decided to go anyways because we're never going to go back. And so we're going through St. Augustine, and all of these boats are in the marina because all of these people have driven their yachts, and there's this sailboat, right? And, like, I like boats. Like, if you drive from here to Beaufort, you see just all kinds of boat stores along that route. And it's difficult to drive there and back and not bring one home. But anyways, there was this sailboat, like a big catamaran sailboat, had two holes, and in the middle there was a net, there was a hammock in between the sails and everything, and I was like, wow, we could sell everything we have, and we could sail around the world on this sailboat, right? Like, this is a treasure that I saw, and listen, Christ is better than that sailboat, right? The love you have for your spouse, that you would gladly walk away from everything, if you could just have that that emotion that you have when you're freshly dating, when you're freshly married. Like, you would leave everything if you could just hold on to that. Christ is better than all of that, right? The joy that this child is going to bring to the earth is worth walking away from everything and attaining just it. And so while I say that uh, the love that you have is... I'm over here, guys. Pay attention to me. The love that you have for your spouse. While we said that it's good if you just had that, but you still need money. If you just have the love of God, that is all that you need to be content in this life. And so then you have another another story. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And so, okay, maybe that other guy found a small treasure. Maybe he was a nobody walking through a field and he just... He just stumbled upon something that he thought was worth leaving everything for. Now you have a story in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And so here's a guy who knows what he's after. He knows what is of high value. He's seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so here's a guy who knows the ins and outs of the pearl business Because he buys and sells them and trades them all the time. And he finds a pearl of great value. And he gets rid of all of his other pearls. So that he can have this one pearl. And he's joyful when he does it. It's not something that he begrudgingly does. But he's happy to ditch everything else. So that he can gain this one thing. And listen, this baby boy who's going to be good news of great joy. He is better than any pearl of any value. And he is going to bring joy to every body accepts him. If you flip back a little further, you can go to the book of Jeremiah. And if you go to Jeremiah uh, chapter 31, if you go to the book of Psalms and hang a right, Jeremiah is not, not too many pages to the right of there. Jeremiah 31, down in verse 10, here's a prophecy about some things that the Lord is going to do. And in Jeremiah 31 verse 10, He says, hear the word of the Lord, O nations. So everybody listen up and declare in the coastlands afar off and say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. And so what's been going on is that the 
nation of Israel is in captivity and God is telling his people that he's going to get them back out of captivity. Much like the people were in captivity in Egypt and God went with a strong hand and got them out. So the people are also in captivity in Assyria and God is going to go into Assyria and he's going to get them back out. And so he wants everybody to know this. He says, go to the coastlands. If you're um, mainly traveling by horse or by foot, when you get to the coast, you don't go any farther. And so he's saying, listen, you go tell everybody as far as you can walk that the Lord is declaring something. And listen to what he's declaring. For the Lord, verse 11, for the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the hand of him who was stronger than he. And so they were hopeless and they were in bondage, but I'm rescuing them and I'm redeeming them. Verse 12, they shall come and shout for joy on the height of Zion. And they shall be radiant over the bounty of the Lord. And so you have a group of people. And this is describing their joy. They're in captivity in somewhere where they can never escape on their own. And the Lord goes in and he rescues them. And when he rescues them, they shout for joy. That's the feeling that they have. Is that they were hopeless. God went and got them. And now they're not hopeless anymore. They're filled with joy because they've been rescued from the place where they were. And it says they shall come and they shall shout for joy on the height of Zion. And they shall be radiant over the bounty of the Lord. And so it's not just that they're rescued, but they're rescued and they're brought into the bounty of the Lord. And so they're going to shout for joy. This is the middle of verse 12. Over the grain and the new wine and the oil. Over the young of the flock and the herd. And their life shall be like a watered garden. And they shall never languish again. And so they've been rescued from a hopeless situation where they were captives and they've been brought into the bounty of the Lord and all of these good things. They've got new wine, they've got oil, they've got herds and flocks and their life is like a well-watered garden. Now, you all, most of you have gardens and most of you have water hoses hooked up to your gardens and so you can irrigate no problem. Well, if you lived in this land, if you saw a green, well-watered garden, that would catch your attention. Right, We live in a pretty colorful area, but if you go over to a place where it's mainly desert, it's all bleak, right? I spent uh, a year overseas in the desert, and so when you get to a city like Baghdad, Baghdad is like an oasis in the middle of Iraq, right? Because it's on the river, they can irrigate things, and so everything you see is just dull and brown and gray. And when you get to a place like Baghdad, it's green, there's vegetation, and it, it catches your eye. These people live in a desert type of situation and for your life to be like a watered garden, this is, this is a big deal. This is everything's bleak around you. Somebody's got a garden that they go through all the trouble to water and it's nice and it's plush and it's green and it doesn't look like anything else around them, but it looks like life. And he says, that's them. It says in verse 13 or almost to 13, and they shall never languish again. Then the virgin shall rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together. And listen to this. For I, this is God, will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and will give them joy for their sorrow. And so this is joy. This is people who used to be mourning because they were captives and they were slaves. Now they've been set free and they've been given an abundance. And now they're filled with joy. 
Joy is the opposite of mourning. They used to mourn. Now they have a elated, they have a delighted happiness about them. And that's joy. And I'll comfort them. And I'll give them joy for their sorrow. And so he takes your sorrow and he gives you joy. And this is for anybody who will put their faith in Christ. Saturday morning before everybody went out taking meals to uh, all of the families, uh, I, I sat down and I wrote a note from our church. And one of the things that I wrote uh, in the note, uh, this is just brief, uh, I wrote a, a small sentence or two of testimony about when I got saved to hopefully appeal to people who might not have been saved. And so I told the people in the letter, uh, told them about Jesus being born, and I said, the Bible says that if we'll put our faith in Jesus Christ, that God will save us. When I put my faith in Jesus, God took all of my sin, shame, guilt, and unworthiness. Then he gave me love, hope, joy, peace, and contentment in its place. And when I read that, I thought, man, how could anybody turn that down? Like, that's joy. Like, remember back when you were lost, before you got saved, like, you were riddled with sin, just like I was. You were hopeless. You didn't have a hope in the world. No love, no joy, no peace. And then that child, born 2,000 years ago, you find out about him. You find that he lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross. He lived the life that you were supposed to live. He dies on the cross, dying a death that you deserved. And then you get all of the benefits of the goodness that he did by putting your faith in him. That's joy. That's, you're hopeless. You're a captive in a strange land. Ephesians would say that you're a slave to sin. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so this is the joy that this Jesus is bringing into the world. The joy is, is that you're hopeless. But God's come into the world to save you. And he didn't just come into the world to save you, but he came into the world to save you. And he came into the world to overwhelm you with great things. If you just put your faith in him. And if you go over to the book of Psalms, and this is our last stop, this is Psalm chapter 16. I, I didn't quite get to one verse. Uh, you go over to Psalm 16. I'm going to finish up in Jeremiah 31. And so after he says, I'll turn their mourning into joy, I'll comfort them, I'll give them joy for their sorrow. He says then, in verse 14, he says, I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance. And so the priest, I'm going to overflow with an abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. And so the other thing that can give you a great amount of joy is that this God, who, who, who the, they call it the great exchange, he exchanged his life for yours. That God who we have submitted to, that God that we have called out to, who we have confessed as Lord, he can be trusted because of his goodness. And so it's possible to be sitting in your chair watching the voice and the cable go out or the, the antenna go out, right? It gets windy. It gets rainy. The dag blasted thing stops working. It's possible to be sitting in your chair with nothing on TV and be contented with the goodness of the Lord. You can sit in your chair doing absolutely nothing and you can be content knowing that the Lord is good and that everything that's happening somehow is for your good. And my people 
shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. And so that means that your holiday season may be the worst one you've ever had. It may be absolutely falling apart with sickness, with death, with all sorts of other things that life brings its way. You can still have a great Christmas season knowing that the Lord is good. And you can be satisfied knowing that he is good, even if the world seems to fall apart around you. Because the first psalm that we read, uh, the first psalm that we read started out, that was Psalm chapter 46. It says, even though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, God is our refuge and our strength. And the, the great news Great or the good news of great joy is that God has become a man. and He can be trusted with everything. So then we finish up and we go over to the book of Psalm chapter 16. And Psalm chapter 16, uh, at the end of Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says this. You will make the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. And so I've done some describing to you about my view of heaven a long time ago, uh, not a long time ago compared to your a long time ago, but when I was a kid, my view of heaven and, it, and didn't know exactly what it was going to be like. But listen to this. You make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. And so whatever heaven is, heaven is guaranteed to be in the presence of God, right? If you're a follower of Christ, your hope about heaven is not that you're going to see Meemaw, not that you're going to see Grandpa, none of those people, but your hope in going to heaven is that Jesus is there, that God is there, and you're going to be in his presence. And this says in verse 11, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. And so just being in the presence of God brings about joy. And so part of the good news of great joy is that God has come to earth. And part of the joy that comes with that is being in the presence of God. You remember the first time you went out with your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, you remember that feeling you had when they said yes, that they would go somewhere that they would be seen in public with just you. Like you remember that? Like, yes, they're going to go in public with me. Like just me. Like we're not going off with a group anymore. They're going to be with just me. And then you remember that feeling that you had when you were able to be alone with that individual? Now, don't go too far off the beaten path. Like, you're just alone. And it's you two, and you're able to talk. You remember what it was like to talk to that individual when you first started dating? And you remember what it was like as your presence got closer and closer and closer and closer, and you got to know them better? You remember the first time that you held their hand? You remember the first time that you were watching a movie with them and you weren't sitting this far away from them. Now you're sitting this far away from them. You're getting closer and you're getting closer. And then you remember what it was like to be in their presence where you could put your arm around them and now you're touching while you're watching. Some of you should not be touching watching movies if, if you're younger, right? And so now you're, you're touching that individual and you're right there with them watching the movie. And then the presence gets more and more and more better. And then the first time that maybe that individual rested their head on your shoulder. Like their presence was getting closer and closer. And every time that you got closer and closer in that person's presence, there was more love. There was more joy in your life. Listen to this. All that you ever experienced with your spouse is just a foretaste of what's to be offered when you're in the presence of God. Some of you have been married for 50, 60 years. 
And maybe it's not the same as it used to be being with your spouse. Some of you actually get to church and you you split up. You go different places, right? Like that was the bewildering thing to me when I came to this church. I was like, why does everybody come to prayer meeting with their spouse and then leave? Like they're not even sitting together. I don't understand it. But you've been together a long time. And maybe that feeling isn't kindled as much as you feel like it used to be when you were first enamored by that individual. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. That joy you had with your spouse, it shouldn't be fleeting, right? You should be working on it all the time. But it's just a drop in the bucket to the joy that you're going to get from being in the presence of God. And brothers and sisters, the only reason you have a shot at being in the presence of God is because 2,000 years ago he became a baby and he entered our world and he died the death that we deserve, living a life that we should have lived, and he gave it to us as a gift. And so that is the greatest Christmas gift that you could ever be offered, that Jesus Christ would come to earth. He'd die for your sins and give you eternal life. And then not just give you eternal life far off one day, but give you joy in this life because you can experience the presence of God in this life. If you will get in, this doesn't make any sense, what I'm saying, if, you, if you've never been saved. If you will get into this book and you will read this book and you will spend time with the Lord, moving from a God who's over there who I don't know to when you spend time with this, it's like you're getting back with an old friend. If you'll spend time in this book, you can experience the presence of God here on earth. And he has a way that even though the mountains are slipping into the sea, even though the sea is roaring and foaming, I'll still trust the Lord. And he's given that to us. And so I pray that this Christmas season that you'll get into God's word. I pray that you will not take for granted the great things that God has done for us. And I pray that over top of all of the family, over top of all of the presents and all of the hoopla surrounding Christmas, I genuinely pray that Christ is what you treasure the most at this Christmas season. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus Christ again. And Father, we thank you for that greatest gift that could ever be given. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in Christ, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they make a decision to put their faith in you, trusting in your death, burial, and resurrection to save them from their sins. And Lord, I pray that this Christmas season they would experience the joy and happiness and gladness that comes into life through knowing you. Lord, help us always to long to know you better and better. Lord, help us to never let that relationship with you grow cold, but help us to continue kindling it until we walk away from this earth. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand with us for our hymn of invitation. I want to thank you guys for coming again. It was great to see you this last Sunday before Christmas. Uh, don't forget, no... No service this Wednesday night. We're going to have a Christmas Eve service on Thursday instead. Also, uh, get out in the cold weather with us. Enjoy some Christmas caroling. Then we'll come back to church for some hot chocolate and things like that. Uh, you need to be here at 5 o'clock. The dump truck's leaving about 5.05, so don't be late. All right? You don't sound convinced that you're coming, but I'm telling you, you're going to have a good time if you'll come. Always a highlight of the year. Ed Thompson, would you mind closing us in prayer?